just when you thought it was safe to go onto iTunes. This is Next Level Guy. The only website that makes self-development as fun as going to the movies. It's time to take the red pill and escape the Matrix. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Next Level Guy Show podcast with your host Ian Dawson Mackay. Today's guest is the co-founder of The Art of Charm, AJ Harbinger. He's one of the world's top relationship development experts and his company, The Art of Charm, is a leading training facility for top performers. They help you overcome your social anxiety, develop your social capital and build relationships of the highest quality. In this interview, we delve into what being social is, why it's important and how you can create frameworks for you to succeed and build the social skills and the social life that you've always wanted. But before we get into that, a quick word about our affiliates. I've managed to build up some great relationships with some awesome companies. This allows me to obtain special discount codes, deals and listener exclusives. Please go to www.nextlevelguy.com forward slash affiliates for further info. I particularly love the Triber Mentors book by Tim Ferriss. The comfy gain highlighting jeans from Barbell Apparel and the meat stack from Muscle Foods, which fills my freezer and my belly currently. For these and so, so much more, please check out www.nextlevelguy.com forward slash affiliates. And now to the interview with AJ. I hope you enjoy. Thank you very much for doing this. I really appreciate it. But for those people who maybe don't know your name, can you just give them a little like 30 second bio of who you are and, you know, like what you're famous for? Yeah, I'm AJ Harbinger. I'm a co-founder of The Art of Charm and The Art of Charm podcast. We started the company 10 years ago, all around building confidence, overcoming social anxiety, and learning how to connect better with the opposite sex. And now we've moved more into business networking and overall confidence in any social situation. And we run live training programs here in Los Angeles where we host uh, 14 clients a week and we run them through some lectures, drills, exercises and ultimately take them out to improve their social skills and overall confidence. That sounds a mission and a half. And how long has that been going on for? 10 years. 10 years. So is it possible to teach somebody how to be social? You know, are we born with this kind of social gene or, you know, can people, can anybody learn how to be social? Well, we definitely believe it's a learned behavior and some of us have more exposure to extroverts growing up and we take on those traits and qualities than other people. Uh, I myself consider myself to be a introvert and I've found Growing up, it was a little difficult to put myself out there, and often I got labeled arrogant or aloof, and I didn't really understand why, because I, I certainly didn't feel that way. Uh, but it was all based on the fact that I was quiet and, and introverted. So in starting the podcast, Jordan, I really wanted to overcome some introversion, get more confident with the opposite sex, and we started interviewing famous people who taught you how to get over some anxiety, get over some social anxiety, and become more confident around women and the show grew from there into just overall confidence building and we realized that a lot of the lessons that we learned when it came to communicating with the opposite sex also uh, played really well with the same sex in business situations so we were able to build out a curriculum now that we believe helps introverts become a little more extroverted use the tools that extroverts use to build that confidence and really connect with people in a deeper way. And the people that come to you, do you find that there's like a, a standard kind of range of problems that they have? You know, is there particular pain points or is it, you know, that they're brought up not being taught how to socialize and things like that? I think for a lot of us, it's, you know, we're high achievers. We threw ourselves into studies and working on that career, but we didn't really put a lot of focus on our emotional intelligence and socializing. So we often put our social life second and our career first. And what ended up happening is as you get further in your career, really those social skills matter a lot more because now you're not doing a job, you're managing other people doing the job. And we found that a lot of our clients have kind of hit that wall where they don't have the social skills to get to upper management or they already are in upper management and they really want to become a better leader, become more confident in that boardroom. So that's what we really focused on is overcoming those 
anxious moments we have in social situations. And unfortunately, sometimes they pop up uh, with our coworkers. Yeah, it's very true. I mean, it's, you can teach anybody how to do procedures and policies, etc. But the second it comes to networking with somebody or, you know, playing a round of golf with the directors, people fall by the wayside. You know, it's it's hard to teach somebody to be a people person. It's something I've struggled with myself. Was there a particular point in your own life that made you want to do this? You know, was it just a range of, you know, these things when you were a kid? Or can you remember a particular episode that made you want to look into this? Yeah, originally I was working on a cancer biology PhD and I had started my third year in my PhD program and I was looking for labs to join and start working on my thesis and a lab that I joined was a pretty high powered lab at the University of Michigan and my principal investigator was traveling a lot. He was uh, editor for a number of journals so he wasn't really in the lab very much and I found I really struggled to connect with my lab mates and I didn't make a good connection with my boss. I kind of put him on a pedestal and and I knew how brilliant he was. So I really lacked some self-esteem and confidence around him. And ultimately it developed into some imposter syndrome where I didn't really feel I belonged. And it led me down a dark path. I became depressed and frustrated and I started the podcast as kind of an outlet and I really focused on getting better with women, hoping that that would restore some of my confidence. And I realized that I needed a break from the lab, and when I left the lab and started the Art of Charm and started working with the Art of Charm full-time, what ended up happening was I started this newfound confidence in helping other people overcome some of their social anxiety and, and rebuilt my own confidence along the way. And I've now, thinking back, realized that you know not having these social skills in the very beginning of that lab rotation really hindered me. I, As I said, I've struggled to connect with my lab mates, and when you don't get along with your coworkers, you don't really have any commonalities and you're not really comfortable around each other. Your work suffers, you you don't want to go in, you, you don't want to be around them. So I found that that anxiety really held me back in my career and now I'm very fortunate that I can help other people overcome that same anxiety and, and that roadblock to their career. Yeah, I mean, the, just listening to your answer, it's like I, I couldn't imagine you having an issue with, you know, you're just very direct, you're you're very clear and concise, and it's it's difficult to believe that you actually needed to learn those things. But, you know, what, can you just, for, uh, to take it right back, can you define what being social is? You know, why should we care if we're social? You know, why can't we all just go, you know, guys and just be the hunter-gatherers by ourselves? Why do we need to be social? Well... It's clear now that you know the world is not a true meritocracy. It's not about the grades you got, the exam scores you got, or uh, the accolades you've collected along the way. What really matters is relationships. And if you have solid relationships, you're going to be supported in any endeavor, and you're going to find that doors open for you. And I've been very fortunate over the last 10 years. I've put a lot of effort and energy on building a network and focusing on relationships, and it's it's paid huge dividends for me. I mean, I grew up in a small town just outside of Detroit, Michigan, and I didn't come from a very wealthy background. My dad certainly didn't have a, a vast network of you know, high net worth, successful individuals. So I realized that in the start of my career, I needed social skills to get ahead and I lacked them. And there really was no place to learn this in my mind. We've focused on dating in the beginning and obviously everyone wants to get better with the opposite sex so they could find a partner and get married, settle down. But we realized that a lot of these things that were holding us back with the opposite sex were also holding us back in just social situations, networking situations. And really building that confidence socially empowered us in so many other avenues of our life. And that's why our clients who come through the residential program, the focus is on action and getting that experience. And over the course of the week, you interact with over 200 strangers, 200 people you've never met before in your life. And through gaining that experience, you recognize patterns to socialization. You become more comfortable in your own skin and you find that anxiety kind of melts away. And then you go back home and you're empowered to lose some weight, to lean in at work, to take more risks, put yourself out there. And we found that our clients have had a lot of success outside of just personal relationships after the program because when you have that social confidence, you really excel. Yeah, I mean, when I first read that on your site, you know, you you have like sort of two hundred points of reference. To, you know, each interaction counts as a reference point. I was like, whoa, two hundred people. You know, that's quite a quite a steep learning curve. So, for, you know, for somebody who say listening, going, oh no, I could never do two hundred. Oh, I don't know if I could even go to the workshop. You know, 
how do we know what's like a social anxiety issue that they need to go and speak to somebody about and what's actually just they haven't learned the skills to you know to fully integrate themselves into a conversation without coming across as a bit weird or you know scaring people away if it's friends or if it's somebody of the opposite sex yeah i think a lot of times we have one or two events in our life that kind of shape us and shape our view or our narrative of ourselves and unfortunately for a lot of our clients they may have been held back at some point in their career they may have been turned down uh, with the opposite sex and ultimately that one pain point sort of creates your narrative moving forward that i'm introverted I, i'm not going to be socially successful i'm not confident and in reality we need more data points to really draw from to build a stronger narrative and that's what the whole point of the week is is a supportive structure to allow you to take 200 risks 200 chances to put yourself out there now if you're listening and that sounds absolutely terrifying then yeah i would say you probably have some social anxiety if you're listening and you're like oh i wouldn't know how to do that but it doesn't actually terrify you then I would say you're really someone who just hasn't had enough practice and hasn't really learned these skills, assimilated these skills. But the great part is, in L.A., obviously, it's a, a large city here in the United States and, and has beautiful weather, so people are out and about and people move here for various reasons in their career, not just entertainment. So people are open to conversation, and we've created, as I said, an environment that supports you through those 200 interactions. So you're getting feedback from the coaches. You're watching the coaches go up and talk to people as well. And really, by the time you hop on the plane home, you realize that a lot of those burning anxieties or fears you had around talking to people didn't come to fruition because they just don't happen. People tend to be a lot more open and kind and giving to people who put themselves out there and who take risks. So you've mentioned there, um, you know, about how previous, you know, what what we do is we grow up and this, you know, the environment that we're in can affect how, what we believe and how we see the world, etc. When you take a new client on, for example, or somebody listening who wants to improve themselves, do you have to eliminate the old programming before you can learn the new things, or can you learn as you go and eliminate the issues? You know, how how would you structure taking on somebody who's pretty pretty raw in social situations? Absolutely. So we have a, a screening interview, a pre-call to see if you're a good fit and your goals are in line with what we can accomplish here at The Art of Charm. And unfortunately, we do turn some people down who aren't a good fit, who maybe have unrealistic goals or maybe they need uh, some other help or therapy. But ultimately, the goal of the program is to fix your nonverbal communication and to fix your social programming or your mindsets. And what's so interesting is we found that the mind leads the body and the body leads the mind. So if you have negative thoughts, they're going to show in your body language. You're going to withdraw. You're going to close yourself off. You might not wear a smile. You might look with this deep processing face and look uninterested in people. Uh, on the flip side of that, obviously, when it comes to mindset and it comes to overcoming some of these negative thoughts and beliefs, we need some experience to help us get a new viewpoint, to shift that viewpoint. So the start of the week, we focus on your body, getting your body language right. We videotape our clients interacting here at the house, and then we watch back the videotape, first with no sound, looking at the nonverbal signals we're giving off. Mm -hmm. And we correct those nonverbal signals so that we're sending off confident, open, comfortable signals that will allow the other person to feel good around us. And as you start to fix your body language, sort of fake it till you make it, you stand a little bit taller, you start embodying confident body language, you actually lift your mood and you start to see better results in your interactions, which leads to that experience. And now those new experience or data points we can draw from as we end the week and start crafting new beliefs that empower you to take action and overcome any limiting beliefs that you might have. And we all have cognitive distortions that we run through mentally that hold us back and keep us withdrawn and keep us from taking action. And the main part of the later stages of the week are really identifying those one or two cognitive distortions that you're running and giving you strategies to start to overcome them by questioning them and looking for real data, proving them instead of just taking them as a belief without real understanding of why you feel that way. Because right, that, that's the thing, isn't it? Is people say, oh, no, I can't do that. And then when you actually start dialing into it, they go, 
No, I just couldn't. They've got nothing to back it up, but it's a, a belief that they've ingrained. So, can you give an example of you know some of these like bad body language and you know and sort of non-verbal signs that people do in initially that puts people off in conversations? Yeah. So one of the biggest ones is we tend to close ourselves off when we feel anxious. So we, we focus inward, right? Our thoughts go to our head. What, what are people thinking about me? How am I being viewed? Oh, I'm being judged. And what happens is we start to close our arms and pull our shoulders in, look a little bit smaller. We don't do a very good job of keeping eye contact with people we're talking to. And ultimately, we're probably not smiling. And unfortunately, a lot of us internally might be feeling really good, but we don't realize what the nonverbal signals are because we've never actually seen them. Hmm. So we could have this image in our mind of how we look, but the camera doesn't lie. So when we put you on high def, you'll see exactly what's going on with your smile, exactly what's going on with your body language. And what ends up happening is we realize, wow, that view that I had of myself oh, that's not what I'm giving off to people. Now I can understand why people might not be responding positively to me. So we really focus on making good eye contact when we're talking to people, making sure that we're having some warmth and emotional expression in our face, and ultimately we're not closing our arms. And as I said earlier, right, the mind leads the body and the body leads the mind. So if you close off your body language, you're actually closing off your mind. It, you struggle to listen. You struggle to communicate. Yeah, because this is why I really like your stuff. It's it's very like it's very process driven. You know, it's a kind of fix that fixes that. You know, it kind of all links together. Whereas some of this in sort of dating sites, you see people give them like you know up in the clouds advice that you can't really relate to. Because if you're just starting out, unless you've got those reference points, they don't make sense. And your stuff is just great because you tell somebody what to do. You know, don't cross your arms. Do this. Look at how your smile is go away and work on that, get the reference points. It's manageable. It can actually help people transform. And I've seen some amazing um, things from your site. So can you, do you have a framework that you deal with each person? You know, is it the same thing? Go in, watch how you're smiling, eye contact. And is it the same for every type of person, male, female groups? Or do you go give them a challenge to go into, or you know how how can somebody start building on their social skills? Yeah, so social skills really come down to verbal, nonverbal communication, and your ability to listen. And we structure the week to focus on all three of those things. So the nonverbals we just covered, right? Making sure your body language is open, making sure you're you're making good eye contact when you're talking to someone, and you're smiling, showing some warmth and expression. Then when it comes to verbals, yeah, we have a very simple formula to conversation that we ask our clients to follow that helps them in those situations where they don't know how to start the conversation or they don't know what to say within the conversation. And it, it really is all we're focusing on is showing a little bit of interest in the other person first. You know, if I were to just come up to you and start blabbing about myself, having not known you or met you before you would start to close off and be like, why, why do I care? Why are you telling me this, right? But if I came to you and I asked you a question about yourself, you're more likely to respond. You're more likely to share something about yourself. And just that little bit of taking interest in you makes you take interest in me, and then I become interesting in your eyes. So we teach the formula as we ask a question, and then we have to listen, right? And that's that third skill that I was talking about. And when, when we listen, there's, there's an emotional context and there's a logical context to the conversation. So the logical context is, you know, the who, what, where, when. The emotional context is the how and the why. So why are they telling us this story? What is the expression going on on their face? So we say when we listen, we're listening with our eyes and our ears. We're looking for their emotional response in their face to determine what's the emotional context of the conversation. Are they having a good time? Are they excited to tell us this? Or maybe we clued in on a topic that they don't want to talk about. And when you become a good listener, you can pick up on the emotional context to the point where now all we're really doing is mirroring emotions. We're finding the emotion that that person has and we're resonating on that emotion. And that's really where the connection happens. When we allow people to feel comfortable around us and share their emotions, they automatically start to feel more connected to us. Okay. And so something I read, I'm trying to remember the source of it, was about how 
things people really like is good storytellers. You know, it's like something that makes like we remember good storytellers and charismatic people like that. So, how can we improve our ability to tell stories? And you know, do you have any tips on how we can, you know, build that emotion and not just be dull, but kind of, you know, what I'm trying to say? It's like. How can we be that person that people remember? Yeah, so the most important thing to do is really spend time on the emotional context and paint that picture fully. So, you know, just telling someone, oh, I was shocked, right? Okay, you were shocked. I hear that emotion. But if you said, oh, I actually spit out my food, right? That visceral response that we all can clue in on says a lot more than just, oh, I was surprised, I was shocked by that. So what we teach our clients to do is really focus on the emotional context of your story and paint those emotions as vividly as possible. What were you feeling? Uh, Was there anything going on that really amplified that emotion, that feeling? And painting that full picture allows people, again, to find that emotion in your story and really resonate on it. So that's where we focus in storytelling. Unfortunately, a lot of us who aren't good storytellers, we focus on the logical context and we try to paint the picture of the who, what, where, why. Uh, sorry, who, what, where. But we're not doing a good job of the why and the how and painting those sides of the story. So that's what we focus on when we're, when we're becoming a more engaging storyteller. And for somebody listening, you know, have you got an example, like a like a mini challenge they could do you know like is there something that you would say to them like go and tell that person about x in your life or the first time you did this or that are those kind of challenges good to get people to build up their social skills absolutely we feel that your personal narrative is made up of three components and you use your narrative to connect with other people and the three components of your narrative are your past your present and your future Now, when it comes to meeting someone for the first time, you're not going to tell them your goals and aspirations or your fears. You don't feel comfortable enough with them, and it feels a little out of place. So when we first meet someone, we use stories from our past to start that connection. And really, we're looking for a little bit of vulnerability. So stories from your past that have a lesson, that have a screw-up, that have a little bit of embarrassment are a good place to start. So if you are out socializing and you're trying to connect with people that you haven't really connected with before, share a story from your past, some situation that happened to you where you screwed up and maybe you did something a little out of character, but you learned. You learned from that mistake. Then, as they hear this story and they laugh at the story and share a story back with you, then we start to shift gears towards our present. And that's really your values. What do you value in life? Uh, For some people... You know, they value loyalty, honesty. Some people value religion. Some people value their career. Whatever your values are, that's what you want to express to someone to deepen that connection. And then finally, when we're talking about making best friends and really deep connections, we're looking at our future and we're sharing with people our fears, our hopes and aspirations, right? That's stuff you'll share with like a best friend, someone who really matters to you, who can support you in those things. So that's sort of the trajectory of your narrative and comes to sharing. So what we say as a good sort of strategy, a challenge to start overcoming some of our anxiety and really connect with people is find five people in your life that you want to connect with and share a story from your past with them. Call them up and say, hey, I was thinking of you and I was having this crazy memory of the story and share that story with them. You'd be amazed at just that little bit of vulnerability, how much it opens the door for connection with strangers or people we haven't really had a great chance to connect with yet. Yeah, that was something I was going to raise in a wee bit, was the, you know, we tend to view men as, like, masculine, we've got to be strong, dominant, powerful, but I um, I heard you mention in another uh, talk you did that to be really successful, we have to be vulnerable. Can you go into about why we have to kind of be open and emotional and you know kind of let it out there how you know what's the benefit of being vulnerable in conversations and social connections well deep down we all know that we're personally not perfect so if we try to avoid showing off any of our weaknesses we look almost robotic we don't feel human to other people so 
what we do by being a little vulnerable at the start and sharing our narrative and sharing some of the sillier moments from our past is we allow the other person to see us more fully and understand that now they can share a bit more with us and open that door to vulnerability. And I think a lot of times what ends up happening when we're nervous, we try to impress people. But as I said earlier, people are not impressed by your resume. People are not impressed by your accolades. People are impressed by your journey and how you became the person that you are. And sharing more of that journey is the easiest way to connect with someone because we, we're all on a journey. We're all making mistakes. We're all learning lessons from these mistakes. And that's how I've been able to build some of the best relationships in my life, both with friends and with significant other. And I feel like that strategy of being vulnerable allows you also to take some pressure off of yourself, right? You don't have to be that perfectionist. You don't have to be infallible around other people. It allows you to be real and it allows other people to be comfortable enough around you to showcase some of their flaws. And that's ultimately the goal. I mean, it makes perfect sense when you outline it like that, but, you know, it's that kind of thing of, no, I'm, I'm meeting somebody new, I can't show any weaknesses, I've got to show that I'm brilliant, I've got to show that I'm strong, and, you know, I, I do nothing wrong, and it's like just thinking about it, about not making a mistake, will actually cause a mistake, or make them kind of come across, think, mm, there's something just not right about this person, because they're not being natural, so... On Monday, for instance, like I'm going to my first Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu lesson. New yeah. school, new people on that. So if we give people listening an idea for how what, how would you t- advise me to go about doing it? You know, like if we give them an example of, you know, like how I should address it so they can go, ah, okay, so they can add in their situation. You know, how do you think I should approach it if you if I was a client of yours? Well, I think. We want to give people value, our friends as well as strangers. So coming into this new class and understanding that value is attention, acceptance, and appreciation. So how can you give value to the fellow students in the class? Well, you can ask them questions and listen to them, right? That's how you can give them attention. You can high-five them when they do something well, give them some appreciation, And you can accept them by inviting them out for a pint after or inviting them out to an event. Doing those three things, coming to the table, giving value to those other people in your class, they're going to start to feel really good around you because that's what we all look for as humans. We all want to be appreciated, accepted, and given attention, which is why we're on social media. It's why we go online. So if you can come into that situation giving people value and not looking to take value, not looking to take attention from other people, take approval and appreciation, what you're going to find is that people want to spend time with you. So they're going to end up taking you up on your invite and going ahead and meeting you outside of class. So that would be the focus. And as I said earlier, in order to start the conversation, I would use the conversation formula of asking questions, listening to their answers, and then always responding in the form of a statement letting them know what I think about their answer, letting them know if I've experienced that too. Uh, Always focusing on answering your own question in the conversation will allow them to get to know you a little bit as well. And is that something that you would advise people, like say if you've just moved to a new city, I mean, it's when I I think about that, I'll have to write that down on a piece of paper because like, you know, I, I've moved to a new area and I'm really keen on making friends and stuff like that. So, you know, for people who are in a similar situation, is that is that how you build good, strong friendships? By the same thing, regardless of the situation or the environment that they're in? Yeah, I think when we're building a social circle, it's really important to realize that it's going to take some time. I know whenever we move to a new town, we want to just drop in and be connected and have this amazing social circle. But you have to understand that people have their own stuff going on and, and they don't really know you yet. So we got to get them a little more comfortable with us. So obviously signing up for that class, going to that Brazilian jiu-jitsu course is a great way to find some commonality with your fellow classmates and, and get an opportunity to socialize. The other thing I would say is find one other opportunity on a weekly basis that you can go out and meet new people and socialize. And we call this your third place. So your first place is your home. Your second place is your work. That's where you spend most of your time. But you need a social outlet, 
especially when you move to a new town. You need one spot that you can go to weekly, stretch yourself socially, and start meeting people. And you want it to be weekly because you want to build propinquity. Propinquity is familiarity that we have with people. So if you see the same faces at the same spot on a weekly basis, you automatically, subconsciously, start to feel a little more comfortable and a little more connected to them, even if you haven't had a conversation yet. So spend the first month going to that same place, socializing on a weekly basis, and start building up some contacts, meeting some people, getting their names, getting their phone numbers. Then month two, I would focus on setting up and hosting an event for all of these people you just met. So it could be a little pregame at your apartment before you guys go out. It could be hosting a dinner. It could be going to a local bar and doing a trivia night, right? We've had clients throw picnics, uh, beach volleyball parties, anything that you could do to host that shows off a bit of your personality, right? Now, invite all those people you've met over the last month to your event. Use a little social media to help you know, get them going, show them what's going to happen, take some photos, put it on the Facebook event. And what you're going to find by just inviting people and saying, hey, maybe bring a friend, you're going to have an opportunity now to expand your social circle, your social environment to another degree of people that you hadn't just met in person. And that hosting of an event is a great low pressure way to allow people to come into your life instead of chasing the one on one time. When we chase one on one time with strangers, often we'll find that they're too busy or they turn us down. But if we have an event where there's going to be other people there, they can bring their friend, it's low pressure, they're more likely to attend. And if they have fun at your event and they seem like a good person, then chase them for some one-on-one time, whether it be grab a drink, coffee, dinner, whatever the case may be. So this way, we're building a funnel of awesome people into our life and we're using that hosting of an event to filter in quality people for our one-on-one time and allow them to feel more comfortable with us. And does that? It's just phenomenally easy when you when you when you actually break it down like that, you know. Because like to a lot of people, it's terrifying going to a new place. They don't know anybody and think, How, what do I do? How can I fit into this? How can I make new friends? And you know that's such a brilliant framework. It's and and how does that work in terms of like small places compared to big places? Is it the exact same kind of approach that you would do? Yeah, we call this our social sales funnel, and if you do any sort of sales or marketing online, most people are familiar with the concept of a sales funnel, where you attract new potential customers, and then you give them some information about your product or your service to get them a little more interested, and then ultimately, you try to close them, to connect with them. Same thing with our social life, right? We have to attract as many people as possible when we're getting started. So we need to be going out and just getting phone numbers and getting names and getting to know people, not pushing them, again, for their one-on-one time with us just yet. Just sending out some an invite a month later to an event that you're hosting, saying, hey, I'm bringing all these other people to the table. Now you have an opportunity to showcase your personality, and as I said, it's, it's little pressure for the person you invited to come to your event versus, hey man, let's go grab dinner together sometime. Having not really known you at all, right, I probably have my own friends, especially in a smaller town, we tend to be a little more clicky and and hold on to our relationships a little bit more. I'm less likely to say yes. So using that hosting of an event is such a key that allows you to crack the code of your social circle. And what I've found that's so fascinating is you throw a great event. Right, You host a great pregame or a great dinner at your place. Everyone has a good time. And then all of a sudden, people are going to start inviting you to things. And now your social calendar is full. And without even knowing it, just by hosting one or two events, you've now unlocked this whole world in your town of, of other events going on, people inviting you out to dinner, etc. It's. Uh, I wish I'd known this years ago. You know, like the way I used to struggle, I would go to like pubs by my um, by myself or go with people who I didn't really like and I would spend time in a pub that I didn't really enjoy list talk about things you know I didn't enjoy and I think it's kind of flicked the switch for a lot of people listening that you can be yourself you can go and attract you know people in these situations so how can they get over that initial oh my god moment you know that kind of the heart pumping the sweats the panic you know do you have 
tricks on how to get over the initial like shock, the stress, the the worry. As they well, usually, the yeah, usually all of that stress and worry comes because we set too lofty of goals. You know, when we think about a social environment, we're like, oh my god, I have to stay there all night, and I want to meet ten people, and then you can psych yourself out. So what we tell our clients when they're starting out, the goal is to stay out for 30 minutes. That's it. You don't have a goal on the number of people you have to talk to. You don't have a goal on the time that's much longer and more stressful. And you certainly don't have a goal of going out and parting it up all night. You make the goal simple and the goal actionable. And what ends up happening is you're there for 30 minutes. You check your watch a couple times and then all of a sudden you find that you're not as nervous or anxious as you thought and it's not nearly as awful as you had pictured because you didn't create this crazy expectation on yourself. And we find that most of our clients will end up staying out an hour or two and have a conversation and they're good for that first night. You know, when we're talking about high levels of anxiety, when you're learning a new skill set, I can't ask you to jump off the diving board into the deep end. We got to start with simple stuff, with making people smile making that the emphasis, and the rest of the stuff will start to fall in place as you get more exposure to it. And really, that's why we created the program, right? Instead of it taking months and months and months, we wanted to create a week-long environment where if you have this level of anxiety, you could get 200 data points surrounded by coaches who are encouraging you in a lovely city like Los Angeles with beautiful people, beautiful weather, and an opportunity to really get outside of your comfort zone in a comfortable way. And that's why we try to build everything that I just explained today on the podcast as as actionable as possible, because action is what helps you get over anxiety. We get more and more anxious the more inactive we are. No, so it sounds fantastic. Um, so what other things do you recommend or do you get your clients to do? Do you... Well, you know, in addition to like the social challenges, is there things like meditation, changes to their diet, initiating a workout program? Do you have like a framework of things that you would start getting them to do? Yeah, so there's a few things that we highly recommend everyone do, regardless of whether or not you're training with us. And those things are creating a, a morning and evening routine. So making sure that every morning is the same and every evening is the same. So you start your day the same and you wind down the same. And those two bookends are crucial to your success because what happens to me outside of my morning and evening routine can sometimes take me off course, can make me really emotionally reactive and frustrated. But when I have a routine, it anchors me and allows me to get through the highs and the lows. When you don't have a routine, a lot of times those highs or lows can take you totally off course. So that's big. I highly recommend that when you are starting these routines, there's two things that need to go in your routine, and that is journaling and that is meditation. And meditation for a lot of people has uh, a negative connotation. It sounds difficult, frustrating to calm your mind. So there are a lot of resources online. I personally love Headspace for guided meditation. But again, start small. Right, You do not need to do two hours of meditation right out of the gate. Five minutes is enough. Just focus on your breathing. Again, allowing yourself to be centered mentally before you take on your day. And then journaling. And for a lot of people, again, journaling can be very intimidating. Right? What do I put in my journal? How do I do this? But when you're on the path to personal development, there's really only three things that matter. The first thing is your thoughts and feelings. So what are your thoughts and feelings today? What's your emotional check-in? Just like you check your oil on your car or your gas gauge on your car, just check your emotional state. What is it? What were your thoughts and feelings today? The second thing is, you know, be a little critical with your self-analysis, but only to the degree of writing down two areas of improvement, two things you're focusing on improving in yourself. And then lastly, writing down two things to celebrate. What are two things that happened today that allow you to feel accomplished, that allow you to feel good. And they don't have to be lofty, right? Small victories are all that matter. It could be, hey, I, I did my morning routine for the fourth day in a row. That's my victory for today. And just documenting that. So when you start documenting your thoughts, 
what we found that's so amazing is you really have to think about these thoughts and emotions now. And when you put them to paper, you're kind of finalizing them in your head. And a lot of times what ends up happening is, you know, we shine a little bit of light on some of these thoughts and we realize that, oh, it's just a passing thought. It's not truly how I felt today. And we don't allow some of these negative thoughts to really stick. And that's what journaling and meditation both help to do. Because we're always going to have negative thoughts. You're always going to have chemical reactions going on in your brain that send you right, left, up, down. What's important is just realizing that, hey, that's a chemical reaction. It happened, putting it in its place and not giving it too much credence so that it takes you, as I said, off course. And, I mean, do you think things like, you know, social media, chatting online, online dating, has that kind of messed us up as men? You know, have we have we forgotten how to socialize? You know, are we no longer, like, you know, we're playing video games online, you can order food online, you can order dates online. At what point have we, you know, have we forgotten how to be men, how to be social and how to interact in groups? I definitely feel like technology sucks up a lot of our attention and it's built to suck up our attention. That's how these apps make money. So because of that, we have to be aware of how much we're using social media versus how much we're actually offline and interacting with people and try to balance the online with the offline as much as possible. Going out to eat instead of ordering in. Going out to a bar to talk to people instead of just sitting on a dating app. You know, challenging yourself, again, to allow yourself to have an online and an offline persona. Because right now, I think a lot of us are sheltering ourselves from having to be rejected, having to deal with people socially by just hopping online and using technology. So how would somebody deal with rejection? You know, say if it's a girl or a guy that you've started speaking to a bar, how how can you ensure that you carry on going forward and you use it as a learning experience rather than a, oh my God, he told me to fuck off, all right, that's it, I'm going home. You know, how can we learn to take, you know, the reference points, you know, what went wrong, what went right, and move on to another go at it rather than just giving up because something went wrong? Right. One of my favorite challenges is to go into the interaction seeking rejection. So asking a question that you expect to get a no. And what we find, what we find is that when we actually go out seeking rejection, rejection is harder to find than we thought. So a lot of us that are worried about rejection, we had one or two rejections in our life kind of, again, stuck in that narrative, stuck Mm -hmm. in our head. But when we go out seeking rejection, we realize that you actually have to try really hard to get rejected conversationally in most social environments. People are a lot more open and comfortable to chatting and having a good time than we realize. So that's one of my favorite tricks. The second thing is, again, stop setting such lofty goals. When you set, when you are nervous about talking to people and you're afraid of rejection, Setting the goal of talking to 10 people, getting five phone numbers, that's such a lofty goal that you're going to psych yourself out. Instead, we want to set goals that are time-related. So I'm going to hang out for 30 minutes is a much better goal. The other goal that I would recommend is I'm going to make 10 people smile. So instead of seeking anything other than a positive response from their nonverbals, you're going to find that it becomes a lot easier. You take a lot of the pressure off yourself and rejection, as I said, doesn't happen. Oh, I mean, I, just, I really love that answer. It's, you know, we've, you, you take the emotion away. You're making it, uh, people to understand it's not, you're taking the pressure off it. Um, we do go into these things like, you know, every new year we go, oh, I'm going to lose 50 pounds. I'm going to learn four instruments. I'm going to do X, Y, Z. And by the end of it, you do nothing. And I really like your approach. You know, it's the, Small goals, build it up, build the confidence, get you used to being in your own skin, etc. So for somebody, we mentioned there about rejection. For somebody who wants to get better, you know, instead of bonding, they want to be more confrontational. Like maybe they're great at their job, but they can't stand up for themselves or, you know, tell off a customer or say no to somebody. How can they do that? How can they learn to be more, not dominant, but you know, kind of to stand up for themselves more? Well, I think the most important thing is 
to come at the situation speaking from your feelings. When you come at the situation telling people you did this wrong or you did that or you're setting yourself up for failure. Instead, if you say, hey, when you did this, I felt this. When you start talking about your feelings, it's much more difficult for the other person to attack you or to argue with you because your feelings are your feelings. It really uh, is not something that's arguable. So when we start focusing on our feelings and telling people the way they make us feel, we start to develop a backbone, a spine, so that people aren't walking all over us and we're not just worried about pleasing other people. That gives you a much stronger position to start the discussion from. Now, when it comes to all-out conflict, we want to make sure that our body language is not working against us. And what I mean by that is when we get in conflict, the only way to work out a conflict is for both sides to work together. If both sides dig their heels in, the conflict gets worse. So the easiest way to get both sides to work together non-verbally is to literally stand shoulder to shoulder so that we're not directly facing the other person. By standing shoulder to shoulder, we allow the problem that we're having to move in front of us. And now we can actually mentally feel like teammates because the problem is no longer between the two of us because we're not facing each other any longer. The problem is out in front of us and now we're going to work together to solve this problem. And lastly, we always want to think about the resolution. What is the best resolution for the situation? If you just come into a conflict situation wanting to prove that you're right and wanting to fire back where they're wrong, it's not going to be resolved. So we want to do a little preparation and make sure that we think about a resolution that would be ideal for us, a resolution that would be ideal for the other person, and then see if there's something that we feel could be equitable in the middle. When you are fully prepared going into that conflict, you're going to start to feel a lot better in that situation. You're not going to be as frazzled and you're not ultimately going to back down. And that's a very powerful position to be in when it comes to conflict. Uh, I, I really like that. And it's it was something I really struggled with for ages. You know, I could go out my way. I was brilliant at a job, but whenever it came to stand up for myself, you know, I wouldn't tell people off or I wouldn't like defend myself or have a go at somebody that deserved it it was because of like the stories I was building in my head and stuff like that and I think a lot of young people don't know how to do that because we're not taught how to be confrontational we're taught that raising our voices or arguing is a bad thing you know not to do it as kids and I think we're we're losing the ability to be to be ourselves it's it's quite sad um so what has running the you know the Art of Charm podcast, what's it taught you? you know, how, what have you learned about social interaction and things like that from your podcast? Well, one of the best things about the podcast is it's given us an opportunity to interview world-class entrepreneurs, business people, athletes, celebrities, and all-around successful people. And... In interviewing them, you start to realize there are some patterns to success. And one of the biggest ones that we realized is the importance of surrounding yourself with positive people. Negative people can hold us back from our potential. Negative people can make us doubt ourselves, can make us view the world in ways that lead us to not take action and not chase our dreams. And all of the successful people that we've talked to have done their best to surround themselves with positive, supportive people who will be honest with them, but on the whole, look for the solution, the positive outcome in any situation. When people are downright negative and they're in your social circle, they're one of the five people that you surround yourself with, when you have problems, you're going to ask them for advice. You're going to ask them to help you solve your problems and their solutions are going to ultimately be negative and hold you back. So that's the first thing that we learned through the podcast. The second thing that we learned through this podcast is that all successful people have routines. And as I talked about earlier, that morning and evening routine are just so crucial to your success because it allows you to withstand whatever life throws at you. And that's why we preach routines now as part of our curriculum and it's helped us become better men, better leaders and better instructors and ultimately better people. And you mentioned there, you know, about, you know, you studied science when you were younger. Um, 
do you think that analytical approach to things and looking and you know just basing it on facts and looking at you know if I add X to Y it produces Z or you know has that kind of thing helped you in the social settings that you can actually an- take the emotion away and analyse what's going on beneath the surface? Do you think that's what's made you so successful at this? Well, I think what science has taught me is the value of patterns and pattern recognition. When it comes to doing classical research, we're always looking for patterns to explain phenomenon and understand things at a better level. So for us, we took a very scientific approach to socialization and figuring out how to be more effective with our communication and ultimately become more confident and start to believe in ourselves. So through a lot of trial and error, much like my experimentation while working towards a PhD taught me, is that patterns sort of rule biology. And if we can understand the patterns, we could better understand how to behave in situations and ultimately be more successful. It's and I mean I I've always loved science and it is strange to notice that there everybody who seems to be really successful usually has some sort of scientific or analytical kind of approach to life. You know, it's like Tim Ferriss and like Juju uh, Mufu. Um, so, is there a moment that sort of jumps out in your mind? You know, like a mistake that you made growing up. Like, what's a, a horror story when you were trying to learn to be social? <laughs> so one of the funnier bits of all of this is, you know, I heard this pretty popular quote, famous quote from, I believe it's Maya Angelou. People don't remember how you, sorry, people don't remember what you say and people don't remember what you do. They only really remember how you make them feel. And I thought it was such a great quote, but I never really understood the gravity of it until we started the podcast and I was trying to get better with women. And I did realize that a lot of what I was saying was not being remembered. And ultimately also a lot of what I was doing was not being remembered. And one of my more vivid moments of this is I had just met uh, this beautiful girl. I was excited to get her phone number. I was going to drive her back to her apartment. And of course it's a Michigan winter. So I let her in the car and then I, I'm going around to the driver's side and I step in a giant pothole, uh, a hole made from the plo- the snow plows in Michigan. And I tripped and fell right on my face and I kind of split my chin open a little bit. And it was bleeding as I drove her home. And I was so embarrassed. I'm such a klutz and I thought for sure that I had screwed up my chances with her. And we started dating, and a few months later, people were asking us how we met and what that first night was like, and, and I laughed. I said, yeah, she was willing to date a klutz. I fell flat on my face, and I split my chin open, and she didn't remember it at all. She she said, no, you didn't. I don't remember that. Are you sure that happened when we met? I said, yeah, and I showed her the little scar on my chin. And it really made me stop and realize that you know a lot of what we do, we think about because we're in charge, right? We we believe we have free will and we're in control of our actions and they stand out to us. But a lot of our actions don't stand out for other people and a lot of our words are not as memorable as we think they are. It's really all about how we make the other person feel. Do they feel comfortable? Do they feel protected? Do they feel safe? And ultimately, do they have fun around us? And if, if you can control your emotions you can allow other people to feel more comfortable around you and ultimately control their own emotions. And, and that's really the key. I think that scared a lot of people with very big egos at the moment. Yeah, it's not, What do you mean it's not about me? Yeah, <laughs> uh, exactly. It's always the same that you think of oh, every single thing that you've said they'll remember. And half the time they're just thinking about, you know, like they're just enjoying your company when they're not even noticing it. So is it just the and same? And they're also... They're also in their own heads, and they're also analyzing their own actions and worried about how they're being perceived. And I think that's really the eye-opener. A lot of times when we think about people who are confident and outgoing, that, oh, there's no way that they're in their own head analyzing what's going on. But in actuality, we all are. That's very human. And how do you think, you know, what's like the overall goal for the podcast? What, What do you want to achieve with it? The overall goal for the podcast would be to reach as many listeners as possible to allow them to overcome their social anxiety, feel more comfortable, feel more confident and comfortable 
in conversations and ultimately put themselves out there more. I know 10 years ago, we didn't have any resource like this ourselves and we were looking and trying to get better socially and, and really felt lost. So if we could provide more people on this planet an opportunity to get out of their own way and have more fun and be more successful socially, that would be incredible. I mean, that was something I was going to ask about was I noticed on your bio, you mentioned being raised by a single father. And yes, is, do you think that had an you know did that have an impact on you to the need to go away and find relationships and develop them and stuff like that? You know, how can somebody who's maybe not got a father figure or a young son, how can they ensure that these skills are learned and passed on? And what advice would you give to people in a similar situation? Well, I think for me the the biggest lesson that came out of my dad's divorce and ultimately my father getting custody was that, you know, the quality of the relationship with the person that becomes your spouse ultimately is the most important relationship because family springs from that. And my dad didn't make the best choices and ultimately was in a relationship that was uh, abusive and not healthy. And it really opened my eyes to the fact that, you know, I want to be more in control and not settle. And I felt that my dad, because he was introverted and lacked some confidence in himself, he settled for someone who, you know, maybe was surface interested in him, but wasn't a good fit for him long term. And that really led me down this path of discovering how to be more confident socially and ultimately be more in control of my time and the people that I spend it with so that I could have healthier happier relationships than what I was exposed to as a kid. No, I mean, and I'm sure he's very proud because, you know, you've turned out brilliantly and you're transforming so many young guys, so many who come from broken homes and stuff. And, you know, you're giving them the skills that they need to to be regular guys and succeed in life. And it's something that you and, um, you know, you should be very proud of. It's, it's mind-blowing to see the transformations in some of your clients. So what kind of programs, you know, this is the perfect time for a, a beautiful plug, you know, what kind of things, like how can we get in touch with you and book off training and listen to the podcast? Like how can we keep in touch with you? Yeah, so the easiest way, of course, is you're listening to a podcast now. So check out the Art of Charm podcast where we interview, as I said, a lot of successful people all around their habits and social skills that allowed them to succeed. We also have toolbox episodes of the podcast. So if you go to theartofcharm.com slash toolbox, you'll find the episodes where we delve deeper into a lot of these topics that we talked about here, the conversation formula, your narrative, building friendships, building attraction with the opposite sex. And then if you're interested in overcoming some social anxiety, the best place to start would be the Art of Charm Challenge. We have a 30-day challenge with a supportive Facebook group that allows you to put yourself out there in some fun ways and start overcoming some of this social anxiety. And if you are interested at all in coming to work with me in Los Angeles, you can check out our boot camp at theartofcharm.com slash boot camp. Uh, typically, we book out about six months in advance and accommodations are provided. We have a beautiful house here with a pool in Los Angeles and we will welcome you with some warm tropical weather, hopefully. So theartofcharm.com slash boot camp is the best place to learn more about the in-person coaching that we talked about and i really appreciate you having me on it was a lovely yeah. conversation and it's been a lot yeah. of fun if i so if i was to finish it off i would ask you one final question it's like what's a fact about you that very few people know about you know like uh i always like doing that i'm a glad i waited to the end moment is it a fact that you're willing to share that very few people know about yeah uh there's a story that I, I tell only to the boot camp uh, alumni, so I'll be happy to share here. I was uh, a freshman in high school, and I was on the varsity football team, and it was raining, and we were trying to get one of the seniors to drive us to get a snack before practice. And he was sleeping, and we tried to wake him up, and he refused to drive us and told us to leave him alone. So I actually stole his car <laughs> and drove my high school teammates to get lunch but while we were trying to drive in the rain he woke up and chased us down the street and caught up to the car and 
me and my buddy jumped out of the car while it was still moving. I hadn't even driven a car before, so I didn't realize they had to put it in brake to put it in park to stop the vehicle. And when we jumped out, the car was headed straight towards the principal's car in the parking lot. And thankfully, the senior jumped in and hit the brake and <laughs> kept us from a complete catastrophe. Uh, but I was I was nearly expelled for Grand Theft Auto in high school. No, I mean, I, uh, I was certainly not expecting it to go there, but I mean, it's, well, <laughs> you know, it, that's an hour gone, and it's literally flown by. I've still got tons of questions, and there's so much I want to delve in. It's been an absolute pleasure. You know, I found you through the Art of Charm podcast, and I've grown into a major fan, so I'd love to have you on again. Um, I, c- I can't thank you enough for this. There's so many gems you've given, and it's given me so many questions. And if I could even get a third of the success that you guys, uh, yourself and Jordan, have got, I'd be a happy man. You know, you're going from strength to strength and changing so many lives, and you're doing a fantastic job of it. And I'm sure your dad's very proud. Well, thank you, Ian. It's been great chatting with you, and I hope you have a, a wonderful weekend. That's it for another week. Thanks for listening. Absorb it. Practice it. Use it. Until next time, keep trying to hit that next level in your life.